This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join me in the call to worship. Every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance, for what we have not encountered, we have not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. divine image and God called us good. Yet often we go our own way wandering on our own lost in this world of chaos. 
And so let us find our way back together and offer to God the truth as we pray. Merciful God, forgive us. We want to serve you, but our own egos are fragile. We want to fight the good fight, but we are so very tired. We want to trust you, but our fears roar at night. We want to seek peace, but the storms seem relentless. We want to do right by you, but we keep making mistakes. We want to be loved, but we push love away. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Renew our spirits and strengthen our conviction. No matter where you go, no matter who you are or who you might become, God accepts you for who you are. God welcomes you just as you are. God meets you where you're at. God names you, God loves you, and you are made in God's image, and so is the person beside you. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Someone asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so just as Christ shared words of peace with the people around him, let us do the same. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Please share the peace.
friends, once again, welcome to this service of worship on the Lord's Day. Jesus assures us where two or three are gathered that he is there in their midst, and so surely the Lord is in this place on this day. Whether you are a first-time visitor or a long-time member, we are delighted that you are here and your presence among us makes us better. So thank you for being with us. It is our hope that every time you come through these doors, whether uh, you are in need of challenge or of comfort, that you will find what you are searching for and perhaps even more. If you have not already and you are seated near the ends of the pews and have access to those maroon pew pads, if you can sign your name and pass them down and back again. If there is a name listed there that you are not familiar with, we encourage you to change that before you go home today so that everyone will feel welcome and at home here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. As you are doing that, I'll draw your attention to a few reminders. They are printed in your order of service, so feel free to take this home and refer to it throughout the week. We will take up our special offering for Peace and Global Witness for the last time today. If you would like to contribute to that, the envelopes are tucked into your bulletin. Take note of the blessing of the animals coming up on Friday. We would love to see all of you there, uh, particularly if you have animals. I've been asked if you can come even if you don't, and the answer is yes. Uh, we have a play and fellowship event on the roof garden coming up. Evening Bible study continues. I do want to draw your attention to the fall fellowship gatherings that are listed here. Hopefully you received an electronic invitation. The bulletin says you should have received a paper invitation as well. Do not feel excluded. We haven't actually mailed them yet, so it would make it very difficult for you to have received one. Uh, but we just want to make sure that no one felt excluded by that. And now you know that you have some good mail coming. Uh, finally, I do want to share with great joy that our new director of youth ministry is here today. She starts today, and so you will see quite a bit of her in the future. April Martin is with us. You can read a bit about her in the bulletin, and we have a small reception to welcome her following the service today. Um, next week, on October 6th, in between the services, there will be a special youth meet and greet event up on the fifth floor so that our middle and high schoolers can have a chance to get to know her and hear more about all that is planned in the year ahead. Uh, but our youth are an important part of our community, and we are happy to have someone on board for them. Specifically, um, she is sitting behind me, but that's April, so you will enjoy getting to know her in the weeks and months ahead. That is a lot of information, so I invite you to take a breath now as we turn ourselves to the Word of God. Our first reading today comes from the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. First, let us pray. Gracious God, open us to your spirit, that we might hear your word afresh this day, and hearing it, live according to your will. Amen. Jesus told this parable to those who were gathered around him. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus 
covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please be seated. And as you're being seated, I invite all of our young people to come forward. And actually, we have a lot of our middle and high schoolers here. You guys want to come too? You're welcome to, because it will give April a chance to get to know who you are. So feel free to come down. Thank you, Addie. <laughs> and Whit. Bella, great. All right, we just sang a song. Who can tell me what that word means, psalm? Do you remember? Let's ask some of the grown-ups out there. What does psalm mean? Hmm? Song? A psalm is a song, a sacred song, a holy song. We have a whole book of them in the Bible, right? The psalms. How many are there? I know you know that. How many psalms are there? 150. Thank you. And you know what? We have a whole big section. We have 100 pages in our hymn book that are full of psalms. This much of our hymn book is psalms. So psalms are really important. And we just sang Psalm 91. Psalm 91 talks about God being our refuge. And what does that word mean? Refuge. A safe place. Exactly right. A refuge is where we're secure, where we're safe. What are some of your safe places? And you guys can answer that one. Where do you feel safe and secure? Bella, where do you feel safe? At home, maybe? With your family? Addie, where do you feel safe and secure? Here. Here? <laughs> Church, for a lot of people, church is a refuge, a safe and secure place, home, some place where, where we feel like we really belong. And sometimes our refuge isn't even a place, but it might be the people that we're with. It might be our family, our good friends, our church family. They can be a refuge, too. So Psalm 91, listen again to these words that we sang, the first verse. Within your shelter, loving God, my refuge and my tower, I safely walk by day and night beneath your guiding power. And now listen to those, that same, those same verses as we read it in the Bible. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God will cover you with his pinions. Those are the edges of, of, of a bird's wings. And under his wings, you will find refuge. So the psalmist says that God is like a fortress. What's a fortress? Wit. I know you know the answer to that. What's a fortress? Keeps you safe if there are people that are coming to attack you, right? Fortresses keep us safe. So the psalmist says that God is like a fortress built around us to keep us safe. And God is also like a big wings of a bird, like a hen or an eagle that keeps their little chicks safe underneath. So two different ways of thinking of God as our refuge. So this psalm is telling us that God is always going to be there. God is our safe place if we feel sad or afraid or are having a hard time. So whenever we need to remember that, we can close our eyes and take a deep breath 
and imagine God as our fortress or as wings that are covering us and keeping us safe. We're all going to do that as our closing prayer. So grown-ups, you can do this too. Everybody close your eyes and take a deep breath. And imagine that God is all around you like a tower or fortress. Or that you are safely tucked under God's wings. Thank you, God, for being our refuge, our safe place. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, April. Our second scripture reading today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, and then skipping to verse 6 and continuing through verse 15. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalim, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Between Austria and Italy, in the Alps, there is a section called the Semarine. It is an impossibly steep and incredibly high section of the mountains. 
And in 1842, an engineer named Carl Ritter von Hege, he began imagining that a railway might one day span that remarkable distance in order to connect Vienna and Venice directly. It took 14 tunnels, 16 viaducts, 20,000 workers, and 12 years before the railway was complete. And at that time, it was five times steeper than any other railway in existence. It was an incredible dream, and it was an even more incredible accomplishment, so much so that in 1998, the Semarine Railway was named a World Heritage Site. It was recognized for the advanced technology utilized in its creation and for its ability to make this vastly beautiful but previously unaccessible area available to humanity. It created a new cultural landscape, and for all of these reasons and more, it is considered a marvel of the modern world. But perhaps the most marvelous piece of the story is that at the time von Hege conceived of this idea, and even at the time when excavation had begun and construction of the tracks had started to be laid down, there was no train in existence that could make the trip. In other words, one of the most ambitious projects in railway history was undertaken with no assurance that someday, eventually, a train would come along that could utilize it. Now, of course, there's no way to know this for fact. But I do like to imagine that if you traced von Hege's family tree all the way back, branch by branch, maybe even forest by forest, you would eventually find the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, but he was a reluctant one. And I can't blame him for that. Real prophets are never particularly popular. He didn't go out seeking this job. The job came to him. He tried to exchange it for one that he thought he would like better, but God was not interested in negotiating. So this left Jeremiah with no choice but to reach for an excuse. I'm just a kid, he says to God. I am too young to do what you ask of me. And God says right back, don't you ever say that to me again. I imagine that most of us would have been just as reluctant. Jeremiah lived and prophesied during the worst time in Israel's biblical history. A foreign enemy nation, Babylon was its name, Nebuchadnezzar was its king, a foreign enemy came through with its army and burned down the temple. They destroyed the holy house of God. They left Jerusalem in ruins and they deported the people. They took them away from their homes and forced them into exile. And Jeremiah is the one tasked with interpreting all that has happened to them. He does this for the next 26 solid chapters of this book. 
and he uses brutal language to do it. It is rough going. This is not a feel-good book because it is not written during a feel-good time. In response to everything that Jeremiah is saying, there are others who rush in with platitudes and cliches. They are tired of Jeremiah's gloom and doom, so they fall all over themselves, reassuring everybody that everything is going to be just fine, thank you very much. Just give it a day or two. The prophet Hananiah was one of those We might do well to call him a false prophet. He shows up a few chapters before our reading this day, and he says to the people who are hurting and homesick, Don't worry. The bad days are almost behind you. The Lord will bring you back within two years, he promises. So chin up. But Jeremiah is the one that God appointed, and he will have none of it. No, he says, it will not be like that at all. That's a word we don't necessarily expect to hear from the Bible very often. No, the good news you want is not coming. Hananiah is a liar. Now, it may seem wrong to squash good news like Jeremiah does, but I am grateful for Jeremiah's holy no. Because there are times when it is the ugly and horrible truth. There are times when life falls apart, and there are times when everything really is worse than you imagined it might be. I suspect you are familiar with this in some capacity. For me, it was a handful of years ago. It was in the middle of my time at my last church. I woke up sick one day, which in and of itself is not a big deal. The problem was, as more and more time passed, I couldn't seem to shake it, and the doctors couldn't figure it out. Finally, they sat me down for an awkward conversation. They said, We think that you have cancer. Everything we can do and see points in that direction. But we can't find it. So I'm going to skip to the end of that particular story, and I'm going to skip over all of the medical jargon and tell you that I did not have cancer, but it took five months for them to figure that out. And in the middle of it all, honestly, the very last thing I wanted to hear someone say to me was that surely everything was going to be just fine. Because sometimes it isn't. Jeremiah was a reluctant prophet because he was a realistic prophet. Jeremiah knew what we know, that the ground shakes, marriages end, 
Cancer shows up, children get sick, wars rage, violence erupts, corruption runs rampant, mental illness remains, finances collapse, everything can change. And that's what's, that is what exile looks like when you are thrust into the middle of an unfamiliar, uncomfortable place. It's when the darkness feels so deep. And it's when you would give anything for just a little bit of peace or something that would remind you of the place or time you call home. So it's in the midst of that kind of experience that words like, don't worry, it's all going to be fine, it's in the middle of those moments that that kind of response rings rather hollow. And so Jeremiah offers a response of his own. He speaks another brutally honest word. He tells the exiles, here is the truth. It's going to be a while. We are in this for the long haul. So we better settle in. Really, Jeremiah says, I couldn't be more serious. Here's what you need to do. You need to get used to this place. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat from them. Find someone you love. Start a family. Look out for those around you in the midst of this terrible exile of ours. Do everything you can to keep living. It's the only thing to do because we are going to be here for a while. And then, as if to prove his point even more, in our reading today, Jeremiah buys a field. In the midst of being exiled far from home, Jeremiah buys property. This is the word of the Lord, he says, and he puts the deed of purchase in a jar so that it will last a long time. And he says, this is the word of the Lord. Houses and fields and vineyards will appear again in this land. But houses and fields, families and vineyards and gardens, each one of those is a long-term commitment. Gardeners are some of the most hopeful people I know. I should point out here that I am not a particularly good gardener. You plant a seed in the dirt and you care for it day after day after day. And this takes a while, and you don't see evidence that anything is happening. Gardening is not for people who like instant gratification. Gardening is for people like Jeremiah. And if I had to guess, I would bet that engineer, Von Hager, had a garden somewhere, too. Gardening is for people like my friend Barbara. Barbara was a member at the first church I served. She had had cancer for longer than I had known her. 
And whenever I went to visit her, if it wasn't the middle of winter, she would ask me to wheel her out to her flower garden. One fall, she worked herself nearly exhausted every day planting bulbs. And we both knew that she was ending the near, she was nearing the end of her life. One day I asked her, Barbara, I said, what is it like to spend all your energy planting these bulbs when it's possible you won't get to see them bloom? She patted my hand with the wisdom of someone who knows more than their pastor. And she said, honey, you are absolutely right. She said, I will not see these bulbs blossom. But someone else is going to move into this apartment, and they are going to love their new garden. Build and plant, Jeremiah says, houses and fields and vineyards. It was a while back now that Stephen Colbert spoke to a graduating class of seniors from Knox College with a lifetime's worth of wisdom to disperse in 15 minutes or less. He chose these words. He said, say yes as often as you can. He says, when I was starting out in Chicago doing improv theater with Second City, there was really only one rule that I was taught. That rule is yes and. In this case, he said yes and is a verb. Yes anding means that when you go on stage to improvise a scene without a script, you have no idea what's about to happen, and you are probably figuring it out with someone you've never met before. So, he said, to build a scene, you have to accept. To build anything on stage, you have to accept whatever the other improviser initiates. They say that you are both doctors. You are now a doctor. And then you add to that. So, your doctors and you're trapped in an ice cave. That's the end and hopefully they will yes and you right back. Colbert looked out at the graduates and he said, you are about to start the greatest improvisation of all. There is no script. You have no idea what is going to happen. And it will often be with people and places you have never seen before. You are not in control, so say yes and. If I understand it, that is Jeremiah's word to the exiles and to us. Yes and. Now don't miss this. The most profound element of yes and, at least as I understand it, is that it doesn't take away any of the story that comes before. 
Yes, anding our lives never erases or diminishes the painful parts. Those need to be acknowledged. It doesn't take those parts away. It simply guarantees that those painful parts will never get the last word. Yes, and let's buy a field. Yes, and let's plant a garden. Because if gardeners are some of the most hopeful people I know, gardens are some of the most hopeful places. Surely Jeremiah would have remembered another garden. It's at the very beginning of Scripture in the book of Genesis when God shows us God's most remarkable and persistent skill, creation. It is in the Garden of Eden that life as we know it comes into being. It is there that God forms us out of the dust and breathes air into our lungs. It is in the garden that God forms every animal of the field and every bird of the sky. It is in that garden that God blesses all of creation. And while this one wouldn't have been Jeremiah's story to tell, it is ours. How there was another garden in which life emerged again. It was in the garden that hope sparked in the face of death on Easter morning. It was in the garden that resurrection became real. It was in the garden that the resurrected Christ is first mistaken to be, naturally, the gardener himself. It is in the garden that life comes to us. The prophets, all of the real prophets from Jeremiah to Jesus, they point out that life is one giant composite of beauty and brokenness, joy and despair, darkness and light, exile and homecoming, death and resurrection, and all of it is stitched together. If we pretend otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves, and we are deceiving everyone around us. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One is to say there is exile everywhere. Exile exists within the grace and mercy of God. The other way is to say that exile exists within the grace and mercy of God. That no matter how long the exile or how painful its circumstances, the grace and mercy of God will always encompass it and outlast it. Those are the two ways to look at it. But the truth is, you don't have to choose between them. Sometimes life requires us to do little more than embrace the tension. But in those moments, I promise you that is exactly where God will find you. In the strange and complex, bewildering and blessed mess 
of living. And that realization and the permission it affords us, well, that may be the greatest gift and the greatest harvest that Jeremiah and his field can offer us. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. you to remain standing and join me in our affirmation of faith as printed in your bulletin. And so we say together, we believe in one true and living God. God is greater than our understanding. We do not fully comprehend who God is or how God works. The Lord's requirements are not always what we think. The Lord's care for us is not always what we want. Even when we are faithless, 
God remains faithful, we can have confidence in God's coming kingdom, even in the darkest of times. Jesus is the long-expected Savior. He was born of woman, as is every child, yet born of God's power, as was no other child. Through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, he brings about the relationship between God and humanity that God always intended. The Holy Spirit is God active in the world. The Spirit makes real in us what God has done for us. As long as we live, we will struggle with sin. But the Spirit's presence assures us God will complete what has been begun in us. We must not set our ultimate reliance on any other help. We must not yield unconditional obedience to any other power. We must not love anyone or anything more than we love God. We praise and enjoy God. To worship God is highest joy. To serve God is perfect freedom. Amen. Let us gather our hearts together in prayer. Good and gracious God of all life, all joy, all freedom, and all choice, we place our lives in your hands and we place our prayers in your heart, trusting that you will receive them and shape them according to your will. We pray for this world and all those who lead it. In the lingering days of the United Nations gathering, with the crush of traffic and extra security outside, we pray that inside, conversations and debates will lead us to a world filled with gentleness and grace, with courage and conviction, where all are valued and known and loved, where all have equal opportunity for safety and shelter. For all those throughout the world who make decisions that impact many, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. This means, O oh God, that we pray for your church. Help us and all those who gather in love on this day to bear witness to your goodness and your glory. Help us to live as resurrected people so that those who need it most will learn to trust that resurrection is indeed real. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You promise us, God, that resurrection is real, and it is real on both sides of the grave. We pray for the family and friends of Robert Haynes and Rose Dotson as they grieve absences but rejoice in knowing they are with you. Having raised their loved ones up to you, O oh God, raise them up to a new way of living in this world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those in the hospital or recently released from the hospital, including Louis Rodriguez, John Schroyer, and Ginny DeBono. In your infinite mercy and care, fill their bodies with your healing and fill their doctors and nurses with wisdom and steadiness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
For all of the joys and all of the concerns we carried with us into this place, O God, that we offer up to you now in the quiet of this moment. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Friends, all that we have and all that we are comes from the Lord, whose grace and giving are beyond our comprehension. So faithfully, let us return a portion of what has been given to us, so that it might be used for the glory of God and the work of the church.
This city and our world, they don't always give us a lot of space to breathe. And so I invite you now to catch your breath around this table, at least for a moment, a moment of stillness and wholeness. Breathe in your inherent belovedness. Breathe out those toxic cycles. Breathe in love that makes your heart soft. Breathe out any anger that is misdirected. Breathe in acceptance and all that cannot be immediately solved. Breathe out the need to be in control. Breathe in a, a breath of humility. Breathe out all that makes you shrink. Come and catch your breath here. Sink deep into the arms of the community that this table provides. And always, always know that you are welcome no matter what you bring with you. God welcomes you here, and that's really all that matters. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Creator God, we give you thanks and praise for this world and all that fills it, for the beauty that surrounds us even in this city, for the wonders of your creation and the rich diversity of humankind, made in your image to love and care for this world and each other. We give you thanks that whenever we have failed you, turning away from the path of righteousness, to follow the ways of our own devising, you have called us back again and again and pointed us in the right direction. For all this, we lift our hearts in gratitude and our voices in praise as we join with the choirs of heaven and all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your holy name. God, for sending us your Son, Jesus the Christ, to become one of us. He lived among us, revealing your love and teaching us how to live. He healed those who were suffering and forgave those who had wandered. Jesus welcomed children, healed, raised, and treasured them, as he welcomed and loved all of the least of these. He shared our pain and died our death, then rose to new life, that we might live and all creation be restored. Remembering your boundless love revealed to us in Jesus Christ, we break bread and share the cup. Giving ourselves to you in joy and praise, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, transforming us that we may be Christ's body for the world. 
By your Spirit, unite us with Christ and one another until we feast with him and with all your saints in your eternal realm of justice and peace. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, we pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. It said, this cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, as my remembrance. The Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat this bread and share this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. These are holy things to make us holy, the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
God of grace, we give you thanks for the feast we just shared. As you have nourished us with love, let our, let our lives proclaim your great love for the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. what only you have to offer. But before you go, may joy and nothing less follow you all the days of your life. May you be blessed and may you be a blessing. And may you rest well today, secure in the knowledge that the Lord of Light, who has brought you this far already, will lead you and countless others all the way home. Amen.
Thank mm -hmm. you.